Let us pray. Dear God, through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. And we thank you that even in our wandering, your grace has brought us safe thus far, and your grace is bringing us home. We pray this through Christ, our guide, and our fellow traveler. Amen. A year or two ago, we gave one of these story Bibles to all of the parents here in our church. And uh, if perhaps you've started attending here since uh, we gave these out, uh, I invite you to send me a note and uh, we'd be happy to give you a copy. Because reading Bible stories with our kids and our grandkids each day is one of the very crucial ways that we can help them to nourish their faith and how we can grow in our own along the way. One of the things that makes the Bible so very precious is that we can delight in its wonderful stories as kids when we're yay young, and then learn to understand them at ever deeper levels as we move through, through life. This is very important, to continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper in these stories at each new stage of life. You know, at first, the story of the prodigal son seems to be just about a young man salivating over pig food and standing up to his ankles, and you know what, right? But it's important not just to stay there in that pig pen, but to go to ever deeper places in this story. And those of you in junior youth and MYF, I'm talking to you especially, go deeper. There's a lot more in these stories than first meets the eye. You see, as we grow in maturity, it's important to discover that this story is actually one of great spiritual depth about two lost and wandering sons, not just one. And it's also important to discover that this is a story most centrally about a father. What a wonderful father. Whose amazing grace shines dramatic new light on who God really is. And how much, how very much God loves each one of us. So let's turn now to this wonderful story. A few years ago in Chicago, an elderly woman struck up a conversation with me while in the waiting room of the hospital. And soon she was 
telling me the stunning story about a son who was badgering her for his inheritance. I'd rather have half of it now, he told her, he actually told her that, than have all of it later on. Better 50% now than 100% later. And in the same way in our story today, the younger son goes to his dad and demands his share of the property. He might as well just have said, Father, drop dead so I can get what's coming to me. And after cashing in his inheritance, he catches the first caravan out of town. We learn in verses 13 and 30 that he then moves to the red light district in a far, far away country where he parties like it's 1999 or 2099, I guess. But when his money runs out, all his fast friends run away. As that old blues standard says, nobody loves you when you're down and out. A famine breaks out and he's forced to take desperate work herding pigs. <laughs> Remember that Jews don't ever, ever touch or eat pigs. And so, if we're really clueless, Jesus is telegraphing us here that this guy He's hit rock bottom. But the interesting thing is that misery and disaster have a way of waking us up, don't they? In verse 17, something happens that is absolutely crucial for every single human being. The story, or Jesus says the younger brother comes to himself. We've all got to come to ourselves. And when he does, and when we do, we're all finally launched on the great journey of finally becoming who we really are and healing the core relationships in our lives. The younger son now sees that he has sinned against heaven and earth. Like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, he suddenly realizes there's no place like home. And he decides to return back to his father. But he still has so very much to learn, just as we do. He still thinks his father's love needs to be earned. And so in verse 19 he says, I'll offer myself as one of his hired, hired hands. But when he's still far away, his father... And I love those three words, full of compassion, comes running out of the house to meet him. And he 
Did you notice he brushes aside all of his son's efforts at bargaining and earning and instead hugs him, kisses him, clothes him, and then banquets him? Grace is so stunning, isn't it? Let's just say it, it's a scandal. In her novel, Gilead, Marilyn Robinson says that grace is so scandalous because it is the eternal breaking in on the temporal. And we can hardly believe it. Lavishly forgiven, the younger son now joins the celebration in his father's house, as it says, as Kate read for us in Psalm 32, happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. In the first half of this parable, dear friends, Jesus is telling all the sinful folk and prostitutes and tax collectors that we heard about in verse 1 about the incredible news of God's infinite and unconditional love for each of them. God's love can't be lost. It can't be earned. It can only be received as a gift. Our story now takes a dramatic turn in verse 25. What a story this is. When the older son comes home from his work, our dear Roland and finds the party for his slacker, 'er ne'er-do-well kid brother. Family systems would have a field day in this story. Younger, older siblings, relationships. And when his father comes out to meet him, what does he scream? Listen, for all these these years... I've been working like nothing but a slave. A slave for you. Imagine imagine saying that to your mom or dad. All these years I've been nothing but a slave for you. The older brother is so lost that he experiences life with his father as bondage rather than freedom. As obligation rather than loving service. He's become a bitter wage earner instead of a joyful member of his father's house of love. Just earning wages. He serves his dad for the sake of reward rather than loving relationship. 
In verse 30, he even refers to his brother now as that son of yours. little distancing there. He's become an alien in his own family. And as it turns out, this older son has also wandered far away from his father's house as well. He too has squandered his good inheritance, not by running away from it, but by trying to earn it. And because of all of his hard, hard work, he now believes his inheritance is his rightful entitlement. Thank you very much rather than his parents' lavish gift. So the interesting thing is that in the second half of this parable, Jesus is now addressing scribes and Pharisees in verse 2. Good, good religious people like you and like me. who so easily wander away from God. In our story, the older brother is offered just as much grace as the younger one, but sometimes it is harder for those who stayed home or who came home a long time ago, I'm talking about myself, to keep receiving our salvation as a gift. Did you know that this absolutely crucial parable from our Lord Jesus is only found in one gospel, the gospel of Luke? And perhaps you saw in my email this past week that I asked you, what if Luke had left it out? Really? What if it wasn't there? Imagine our faith without this story. Has any other parable more profoundly reshaped our understanding of who God is? Confession time, this is, I think, the fifth time I've preached on this wonderful story. And every time I feel more and more deeply grateful to Jesus for this story about the lavish and prodigal father. That's what prodigal means lavishly extravagant, who forgives our sinful wandering, graces our most terrible mistakes, and then welcomes us into his house of love, where our most precious reward is that we are always with him. Verse 31, we are always with him. Our most precious reward, 
contrary to what the prosperity gospel might tell us, is intimate relationship and loving communion with God. That's the reward. Jesus is revealing to us in this Father the exquisite character of God's love. A love that seeks us without coercing, confronts without ever humiliating, is strong without ever resorting to violence, and is patient, oh my, is it patient, without ever being permissive. God knows that threats and fear, oh, they can change us for a few minutes, a few days, but only love, only love, can fully transform and heal us for all of eternity. God knows that transformation best happens in God's house of love, inside the house, not outside of it. And so God's always saying, come home, come on in, be with me. And this divine love also reaches out. In verses 20 and 28, notice how the Father goes out of the house to meet and to reach out to both of the sons. And in today in 2 Corinthians 5, we learn that through Jesus, that's what God is doing. Reaching out to reconcile us to God's self. And then as Sherry said so movingly, we heard a first sermon, didn't we? When she read the scripture. As recipients of God's reconciling love, recipients are then to become channels, agents of that love ourselves here at church, at work, in your retirement communities, in this neighborhood. This reconciling love is meant to flow through us to others. I don't know about you, but this uh, parable of Jesus's is, ends in a rather edgy way. Don't you think? It's completely open-ended. I mean, will the younger son now abuse his father's lavish grace? Really? Will he? Will we? Or will he say a deeper yes to his father and now begin to grow in depth and maturity and faithfulness? We don't know. Or... Will the older son keep on refusing to forgive? 
Will we? And remain locked up in our bitterness? Or will He and we finally enter into the Father's house of love? Jesus just doesn't tell us, does He? In the silence now, let us each listen for how Jesus wants each of us to finish this story in our own lives. Amen.